Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. For our final episode of this year, we're looking ahead to the big tech stories for 2024. Coming up, unsurprisingly, we'll discuss AI and the movers and shakers of this rapidly advancing sector. How the tech regulation crackdown could escalate what technologies will be in the crosshairs as the US-China tech war shows no sign of cooling down, before we discuss EVs and the new Chinese players in the race, and finally, we'll tell you why next year is a big one for cryptocurrency. Beyond the Valley. Done all your Christmas shopping? No. No one's getting anything this year, Tom. Uh, You know, it's a difficult year. (laughs) I think, quite frankly... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the bottom line. Granted, it's difficult for a sort of across the board, but particularly because you, you've invested all your money into bricks and mortar. Yeah, and flooring, bought some flooring. However, the kids in my family, they'll be receiving some things. Okay. Can't be too... Like, Not your own kids, but your, your relatives. Well, I don't have any, but no. my relatives. Yeah. And uh, you can't be too sort of grumpy, you know, about the whole thing. <laughs> can't, can't do, you know, be the Grinch. Yeah. Do you, know when you, do, do you still get pre- presents from your parents? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I love it. I just want to ask for cash. Yeah. <laughs> I w- anyone, I wish I could convert all physical presents into just cash. That would be the idea. I know. The, really, the yeah. Christmas spirit is really in full uh, flow. <laughs> Can I just get an envelope with uh, some cash in it, please? Yeah. <laughs> or, or here are my account details. You can just transfer me. Even more brutal. Uh, just absolutely brutal. Yeah, things have changed um, since we were younger. Um, I know. I really like baubles. You know, like random types of baubles yeah on, on tr- like you know with with designs and like fun stuff and to put on the Christmas tree yeah, yeah. just like, with nice. like a pizza slice well, we've got one with a pizza slice really like that and that I think that's you know new Christmas traditions is what it's all about um, yeah we're doing Elf on the Shelf at the moment with the uh, with the children and uh, yeah I keep forgetting that I've got to move the Elf every night hopefully no, I'm not going to listen to this podcast <laughs> I've given the game away but yeah uh, yeah, it's quite quite stressful. Make sure that he's um, yeah. Are they into it? Do they believe it? Yeah, totally buying Good. into it. So that's great. Um, though it's all based around you know them behaving well because the elf is watching them, but that's not working how I would have liked. So, so they they sort of don't part, care yeah. about the elf as much. as They you believe thought they that might. he's there, but they don't think that he's really going to report them for their for their bad behaviour. Anyway, well, you need something believable. Maybe the elf writes like a report and be like, "Oh, we saw what you did yesterday." You know, you shouldn't have. You know, yeah, you that's a good have made one. all that mess. That's a good one. I like that. I do want to tell our listeners that we have some special guests coming up, which we're very excited about. Um, but before we get started, we've got to hear Arjun's stat of the week, which is. So obviously, since we relaunched this podcast, Beyond the Valley, I've been giving you sort of stats that were you know mildly related to what we've been talking about today. It's just going to be a fun stat. It's just a fun one. And the stat is 1.1 million pounds, and I'm talking pounds of weight here. Right. Uh, 
or, you know, the equivalent of 500,000 kilograms. Okay. Uh, yep. All right. Noted. Um, I might need another hint, uh, but that's fine. We'll get to it uh, later in the episode. Um, I'll have a think about it. Don't worry. Uh, just to remind our listeners, uh, because this is the last episode of the year, you can ask any questions for us, but we will respond to them uh, in the new year. Uh, maybe you have any suggestions for topics. Uh, you can email us at beyondthevalley at cnbc.com and we will answer those next year. Okay, let's get started. We talk about it every week, Arjun, generative artificial intelligence. It's the hot topic in tech. So can we expect even more investment, more excitement next year? Yes. Simple answer, yes. There's going to be a lot more. End of podcast. (laughs) Job done. Great. Let's all go home. Enjoy the holidays. Um, Yes. uh, But I want to get more specific on, on, on the AI chat and talk about what I think we're going to see next year. So generative AI, um, the first thing, uh, I think this is pretty obvious, is we've seen a number of these big models released, right? OpenAI uh, and the, the sort of AI models that are trained on huge amounts of data, also known as large language models, that underpin, for example, ChatGPT. With uh, Google recently, we saw Google release Gemini, which is their answer to that. Uh, in China, we've seen a number of the tech companies there, Alibaba, Baidu released there. So I think what you're going to see is is more models released. Uh, I spoke to uh, the CEO of Rakuten, big Japanese tech firm. Uh, his name is Miki Mikitani. Uh, he told me that they're also working on a um, large language model. So you're going to see more of that. That's an obvious one. That's the trend. But I think also... The models we've seen so far are are intended to sort of be almost general purpose. They can do multiple things. I think one of the things that happens next year is we might to see more specific models being released that are targeted at, say, the financial industry or the healthcare industry. So more specific models designed not to do everything, but to do specific more, tasks. M- more B2B. But that, again, goes back to the jobs concern, uh, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, because if they are targeting businesses who can cut costs... Uh, with this new technology, then that is also something to think about. That's something to think about, yeah. But I think, you know, all all companies are looking at right now and looking at AI and going, well, we think we can make our businesses more efficient. I mentioned Rakuten just there. In that interview I did with the CEO, he told me that they're going to use the AI that they make internally in the hope of reducing or improving efficiencies, he said, by 20%. So everyone's looking at ways to improve efficiencies, and that could mean you know, trying to automate tasks. So I think those two things, more AI models, more specific models. And I think the third part of this is models getting smaller. So right now, we've been talking about large language models. These are huge. But one of the issues is they're so expensive to train. So only a handful of companies can really train these big models, those who can afford the data centers, the chips, the processing, all of that, OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, etc. Um And not everyone can do it. So I think next year there's going to be a big focus on how can we make these large language models more efficient? And do they need to be this big? Um, And you're already seeing that trend. So when Google launched Gemini, its its large language model, um, it had a version called uh, Gemini Nano. And the idea of that is that this AI system can run on a device like a smartphone. Now, typically, if we're using like chat GPT, image generation AI tools. We're using them on, you know, a phone or a laptop connected to the internet, which then effectively run from the cloud. Whereas Gemini is designed to run on a phone, processes to be on a phone. 
And obviously that's going to rely on them being more efficient so that the phone can handle that kind of power. So they need to be efficient that they work on a device that small with the chips that are inside that and all the other pieces of hardware. So that's going to be an interesting one, models getting smaller. And I think that are three of the big things in the AI world next year in terms of on the AI development software front. Obviously, when we talk about AI, the question that is often on people's lips is microchips and the need for them to support the AI, uh, the Gen AI. Um, are we going to be focusing a lot of attention on companies like NVIDIA next year? Yeah, I mean, NVIDIA has been the company on a lot of investors' lips this year. For many, it's been the only game in town creating the microchips required to train these huge AI models. But very recently, AMD, another a semiconductor firm, released their own chip that is designed to train these um, models. Uh, it's the MI300 range of chips. And so I think next year, NVIDIA faces more competition. AMD's in the mix. And I think a lot of other companies are going to be talking about their own offerings in terms of the chip space because there's so much demand for these type of chips. Beyond the Valley. For our next topic, we are thrilled to have CNBC TV reporter and European politics aficionado Silvia Amaro. Welcome to Beyond the Valley, Silvia. Thank you so much. I love that intro. No problem. (laughs) Why don't I ever get an intro like that? What are you talking about? I always give you an intro. Senior tech correspondent. Yeah. Aficionado. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that before. Such a diva. Um, Silvia, (laughs) before we look to next year... Mm. Were you surprised at how governments crack down on tech this year? Not so much. Um, to me, it just feels like this has been a priority for so long. And maybe Arjun can add more detail to this, but it just feels like there was a combination of a lot of things that then just sparked action. And of course, we saw a lot of cases in the United States that just drew a lot of attention to tech. Um, so I think definitely a year dominated by a lot of tech stories. Um, but I, I was not really surprised by how they've gathered so much attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these tech players are becoming so big that naturally politicians all over the world, not just on, in the EU, are looking at what they can do to regulate and to make sure that ultimately they're not jeopardizing you know, safety for users and so on. Yeah, and, and looking after the business interests for within the EU, and I know we're going to come on to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, it's been, um, I feel like on the podcast, at least we've been talking about regulation, you know, almost every yeah. week. Um, With every we, topic almost, you know, we're talking about crypto, about AI, yeah. all of those topics, you know, have been quite um, heavily uh, scrutinized by the regulators this year. Well, when we talk about the EU specifically, mm. um, what do you think really sort of pinpointed their their, their moment of, of regulation crackdown on big tech this year? I mean, definitely the recent news on the AI Act, um, the first continent to have regulation on this uh, specific part of tech. But then I would also highlight for the DSA and the DMA, and I apologize for some of the jargon here, but that stands for Digital Service Act and Digital Markets Act. And these two pieces of legislation were essentially groundbreaking because they just gave 
legislators and regulators in Europe a lot more power to oversee content online and just to really make sure that tech players in a way don't get too big. Um, We can talk about that in more detail going forward, but this, as I look at the last five years of policymaking in Europe, that was definitely a watershed moment and is going to essentially influence what we see next from regulators going forward as well just on the on the dsa and the dma just Mm. quick super quick overview what 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 would it aim to do so dsa is focused on um, online content so things such as hate speech and so on now if um, essentially companies will have a lot more answers. We have to give a lot more answers to regulators when it comes to that. And we already saw some complaints from European regulators about X and some of the comments, some of the conversations that are happening on X about Israel Hamas. Digital Markets Act is a lot more focused on uh, um, the competition aspect of things. So that could actually ultimately lead to the breakup of certain parts of big tech businesses. And one of the cases for us to monitor is um, there's an ongoing investigation on the App Store. That's going to be one for us to follow in the coming weeks. Um, But there could be some movements there. And it essentially just shows how regulators are also focused on making sure that everybody has a say in a way. The European or the EU AI Act is fascinating. It was first proposed in, in, I think, 2021, before we had ChatGPT and and before the boom of generative AI. So the Europeans proposed a law, which many had praised at the time on taking a risk-based approach to AI. So rather than regulating the technology, regulating how it's used. So let's say it's used in a way uh, that is high risk, is unacceptable, it wouldn't be allowed to be used in that way. doesn't mean the technology can't be developed, it just means it can't be used in that way. Mm. Then generative AI came along and, and this sort of regulation all got ripped up and they had to sort of add some more things to it, particularly around what they call general purpose AI, which relates to those models we were talking about earlier, um, those foundational models. And it puts a lot of transparency requirements on the makers of those models. So it could be things like technical documentation, complying with copyright law, because imagine the amount of things that uh, data that's used to train these modules. Where where is that data coming from? Is it copyrighted? Um, And then detailed summaries about what the algorithm is trained on. So Mm. this is interesting because it now puts an onus on the tech companies developing this technology to now come up with all this extra stuff for the regulators, which the industry, the tech industry, is just not happy with. They're Mm. like, this is going to kill innovation in Europe. Um, This is too onerous. Um, Sylvia, the EU AI Act is sort of been agreed in principle. Mm-hmm. The final details need to be hammered out. Um, can can the Europeans enforce this? Uh, that's a very good question. They can because I think ultimately the question is: Do they have the tools and do they have the willingness to do it? And the answer to both is yes. Um, when I see the the latest reactions from Europe on this AI Act. They are just so proud. They're just so eager that they came up with something so quick and they think that they're ahead of the curve, which to some extent they are. Um, And they are actually thinking that they will be able to influence other regulators across the world to do more when it comes to AI. And we can discuss, you know, ultimately what they're trying to achieve here. But it is a groundbreaking moment for regulation in Europe. 
But of well, course, the tech companies are not very happy about it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Europe hasn't really had many tech companies of sort of huge note, uh, you know, the way we speak about the Chinese or the US. Players. Totally. And, and many have said that, you know, with the advent of this generative AI and uh, the, the technologies that accompany it, this could, re- you know, Europe missed out on the social media age. They missed out on the Internet age, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the smartphone age. Um, mm. But actually with AI, this could be a chance for Europe to really create a significant handful of companies. Um, and so I think why this regulation is significant is how much, if at all, does it impact innovation? Will it impact innovation? I think that's really yeah. a big question. Or, or how much is it to do with protecting their own interests? Is it more to do with, well, we need to ensure that we are at the forefront of this new technology, not America and, and not China? You also have to think that, historically speaking, the European approach is a lot more conservative. And I'll never forget this line that one expert told me when I started covering tech regulation a couple of years back. And he said, US innovates, Europe regulates. And that, to me, just seems to be the case forever. (laughs) And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, because on the one hand, there is... Of course, this pressure now that with this AI Act, maybe they're killing some innovation in Europe. But ultimately, the European lawmakers, they might not mind that because for them, regulation is what comes first. We saw um, the EU continue its scrutiny of um, big tech companies this Mm. year. Uh, 2024, (laughs) what's happening in the European Union and, and what does it mean for the willingness or the appetite yeah. for regulators to continue this sort of quite aggressive scrutiny? I'm so excited for 2024 because I think it's going to be such a busy year. We're going to have so many things to talk about. When it comes to tech specifically, I actually had the chance to speak to uh, Thierry Breton. He is one of the main um, policymakers when it comes to tech regulation. And he told me in October, I asked him, you know, what's the the plan for the last year of your mandate, which ends in October 2024. And he said, well, it's about making sure that everything we've put in place is executed. And next year we have parliamentary elections in Europe in June. So as I look into the next year, it seems that what we will get is a lot more focus on making sure that all of the regulations that they have approved so far are going to be followed. And so we're unlikely to see as much development of new laws we have seen thus far, but it's more on the execution. But when it comes to the big tech cases, there there's still a lot on the pipeline. And here I want to draw your attention to the fact that Margret Vestager, she is she's been in charge of competition policy in Europe. It's her last year of the mandate as well, and it will conclude 10 years in this position. And so Policy experts expect that she will be looking at cementing her legacy and she will be looking at doing a lot more in 2024. So a couple of the probes that, for instance, might come up next year. Remember the uh, 13 billion euros of unpaid taxes from Apple? That case is expected to resurface in uh, 2024. We're likely to hear from the court on that. Um, There's also a final stage investigation at this stage on uh, the App Store, as I mentioned earlier. 
Um, and then there's also this ongoing investigation into the ad tech business of Google. So she might be looking at finishing some of these things next year. Um, and therefore, yes, maybe we're not going to see, you know, huge new investigations, but concluding some of these big tech cases. Wow. Exciting stuff. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in the airports and uh, on the Eurostar oh, quite Eurostar. a lot, I imagine. For our listeners yes. who don't know Sylvia, <laughs> she, she is the most excitable person over European <laughs> Union politics. Yeah, I would say and she so. does it so well. <laughs> You're very kind. Yep. I get excited about these things. I think it's important to understand them and explain to people why they matter, right? And, and they do, and they're huge. And yeah. they're impacting, you know, companies... The biggest companies in the world. Totally. Yeah. But and ultimately also, users too. Ultimately users as well, yeah. How, uh. Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. The other, the other part here, and we'll segue nicely into our into our next topic. Oh, all right, you, you go I, ahead. I just you thought it's the last episode of the year. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll this. see what it feels like to to be in your shoes. Um, <laughs> Maybe I won't be on the podcast. Yeah, in no, you definitely will. Um, you definitely will. But the EU has their their agenda, mm. has its position mm. uh, in the world of tech. Um, but it's also one where it's trying to carve out its place in a broader, mm. what seems to be increasing uh, battle for tech supremacy between the US and China, which has been going on for a few years now. Um, but Europe's trying to figure out its position here. So yeah. next year, you know, we've seen so far the US try to restrict China's access to certain technologies like semiconductors. And I think next year the attention is going to turn a lot to AI and a lot of the semiconductor curbs the US has put on China at the moment is about stopping China from getting access to high-end semiconductors that can be used to train AI. That's likely going to continue um, and could get stricter as well as this technology continues to grow rapidly. Um, but what, where does Europe stand here? Because it's somewhat caught in the middle in many regards. Totally. And when I think about it, I always also compare it with the situation when it comes to trade, because it's very similar. But focusing on tech, you essentially have this tech war between the US and China. And while the Europeans, you know, the relationship that they have with the US is so important to them. And you see countries such as the Netherlands supporting the ban on semiconductors, for instance, there's also a place here where the Europeans are actually looking at not completely putting an end to their relationship with China. And there's an argument to be made that, that actually the Europeans can actually benefit from this trade war, trade and tech war between the US and China. Um, so in that space, you see the Europeans in a way struggling to find their place between still being friends with the US, but trying to get an advantage from the trade and tech war that China and the US are going through. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah no. no, I think it does. I, I think it, it's that difficult balance, isn't it? Because 
in many respects, the EU and the US are aligned, whether it's defence or mm. you know, NATO. Um, but And granted, not all EU countries are in NATO. But when it comes to the, the business side of things, they have to play both sides because ultimately the US will also look after their own. And they already have this year. Of course. Um, you know, and, and it's hurt a lot of uh, European companies, or at least... It's drawn their attention to the U.S. away from the their own the, their home market. Um, so you have to play both sides of each other almost. And this is also a geopolitical issue because the Europeans are for they have for a long time they've wanted to get China on their side when it comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and therefore they're not they're not willing to upset china in a significant way even if there's pressure from the us because they're trying to keep certain close closer ties with china when it comes to these matters so even if when you look at some of the geopolitical concerns that are on the table at this stage tech is also playing a role here all right um yeah. i think that's what, what do you think of my transition yeah you did really nicely yeah, thank actually. you that's i might cut it out of them yeah oh. <laughs> the podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, Sylvia. Well, uh, I think we'll leave it there. But thank you so much for joining Beyond the Valley. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much. We hope to see you more in 2024. Sounds good. Wow, rhyming. Very poetic. <laughs> thank you very much. Loved it. Beyond the Valley. The next subject is electric vehicles. Are we expecting more competition when it comes to the likes of? Tesla and others. I think Tesla and BYD, which is a big Chinese firm, Warren Buffett actually backed them. Um, they are the two real market leaders in EV uh, globally. Um, and I think Tesla and BYD will continue to lead the pack. But definitely you will see heightened competition, not just from the Chinese players, which are saying the likes of Neo and Xpeng and, and Li Auto. These are some of the sort of Chinese startups that are that are really trying to grow aggressively. But I think the traditional automakers are going to try and get in on the act, right? Your Volkswagens, your Mercedes, BMWs, etc., etc. You've already seen them this year start talking about their timelines and pipelines for EVs. So I think there's going to be increasing competition over the coming year and beyond uh, to Tesla. And I think the Chinese players... The, particularly the startups are going to continue what they've been doing, which is aggressively launching vehicles, but then also trying to expand internationally and particularly in Europe. So that's going to be, I think, a, a big theme next year. We also saw a lot of tech companies weighed in on the EV market as well this year. So can we expect you know more from them? Um, and are the traditional automakers worried about that? I think it depends on who it is. So if you look at a company like Samsung, you know, they have no desire to make cars, but they do have a desire that their some of their hardware and some of their software is in cars, whether it's the chips to the infotainment systems um, to various other parts of, of, of technology they offer. That's one thing. So I think you'll find that companies will want to partner with uh, companies like Samsung. Uh, Amazon's another one with with AWS. It's trying to do a lot in the cloud uh, for car makers, uh, Qualcomm and its chips going into cars. But I think there's also on the flip on on the flip side a lot of um, Chinese, in particular, technology firms that actually want to get into cars. Xiaomi is one of those. 
uh, Huawei, we've seen partner up from a technology front with traditional automakers to make cars. So it's going to be a bit, a bit more of that, I think, a lot more technology partnerships. I think one thing we've seen is a lot of the tech companies just don't want to make cars. It's expensive business. They've got no idea how to do it, really. Um, but they do have technology and the car makers don't have technology. Uh, and that kind of mm. is, is where they're trying to find these partnerships from. Is there some concern in the EV market around infrastructure, particularly when it comes to charging? I know that in the UK, government support for things like that has been a little bit slow. And that, you know, a lot of people that have EVs are particularly frustrated at how slow this development is happening. Do you know my friend? He, you don't know him. You don't know him. So uh, that's a silly question. But my friend uh, has, has an electric car um, and he has to sort of drive about sort of seven, eight minutes away to a, effectively a, a, a car park, a parking lot to charge his car because he doesn't have a charger at home because it's just, it's a bit of an effort to do it. And then has to and go it's and faster leave. probably to, is in the charging process is faster at the forecourt or wherever. That's right, because it's one of the fast chargers. So, but then he'll still have to leave it there for, you know, Overnight. an hour or two, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, at least right. to sort of get, so then you sort of without car. So yeah, the, the infrastructure, would you buy an electric car? No, uh, no, definitely not. Not with children. I mean, it'd be an absolute disaster. And I have friends who have children who have bought EVs and I do ask Beyond them, but I think the there fun. is a, an element of sort of pride and, you know, and they probably also got used to it, that this is the new normal, that they go to a supermarket that has a petrol station attached and leave their car there charging and then walk home and then i mean it seems mad the whole point of having a car is the convenience of parking hopefully next to your wherever you live or in a driveway for instance Uh, and this is you know and then you you know on your journey you pick up your petrol your diesel but this is (laughs) this is the situation we leave is i mean last night i was walking down this down the street we have one charging point uh, you know, inside a, a street lamp, and uh, this this couple were trying to squeeze their car into this tiny space and get the charger, and the charger was wasn't sort of quite reaching the charging point, and it just looked like oh, a complete disaster. Sounds painful, really painful. And in my opinion, unless there is real government backing, you know, the, the development to change and 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 keep up with with what these automakers and tech companies want to be doing. You know there needs to be support from the from from national governments. Otherwise, it's just not not going to happen. In time. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think that's one of the big issues uh, around this is the fact that the infrastructure is not there. I think people would like to buy electric vehicles, but actually, um, they think about it in these terms. And like, where am I going to charge it? You know, yeah. how, uh, what, how, what am I going to do if it runs out of battery midway through my drive? Uh, all these kind of things, um, which I think is stopping a lot of people from buying them. Beyond the So our final subject for this week's episode is cryptocurrencies and uh, a look ahead to 2024. And we thought uh, it would be great to get uh, Mackenzie Sigalos back on. And we've been tracking her down. And thankfully, uh, we have managed to get hold of her though uh, she is on West Coast time uh, in the States. So she has managed to send us a voice note uh, through about what she thinks will be happening next year for crypto. Q1 
of 2024 is going to be all about spot Bitcoin ETFs, an instrument that would allow investors to buy into digital currency directly through the same mechanism that they already use to buy stock and bond ETFs. You've got top asset managers, including BlackRock, WisdomTree, and Invesco that have all filed applications with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and traders are increasingly bullish that the SEC will approve one of those applications within the first few months of next year, potentially as early as mid-January. Now, we already have Bitcoin futures ETFs, but why a spot Bitcoin ETF is such a big deal is the fact that it would effectively become the largest pipeline ever built between traditional financial markets and crypto financial markets. Bernstein is ultimately expecting 10% of Bitcoin in supply or around $300 billion to be managed by these ETFs within five years. And in the near term, it would also make it a whole lot easier to on-ramp fiat into the crypto ecosystem. Now, should Bitcoin spot ETFs get the green light, Ethereum spot ETFs will be next. All the same global asset managers that have put in for a spot Bitcoin ETFs have also filed for an Ethereum ETF. Another major thing to look out for next year is a market-making event called the Havening, which is coming up in April of 2024. It happens roughly every four years, and it typically heralds the start of a bull run for the crypto market. Now, the market is also expecting to finally see some rate cuts following recent comments from Fed Chair Powell, which almost always dovetails with bullish investor sentiment. Plus, on the regulation front, we're increasingly seeing hard and fast laws on crypto in different global jurisdictions, making it easier for companies to operate with a clear rulebook. And even in the U.S., we're beginning to see some long-standing legal battles in the crypto ecosystem reach a point of resolution. Ripple and Grayscale winning their respective battles with the SEC, Binance settling with the DOJ for $4.3 billion. So even though we've seen once blue-chip names in crypto file for bankruptcy and face charges of fraud in the last 18 months, there is this overarching narrative that the grifters have been washed out and the sector has built back stronger with the support of some of the biggest names in traditional finance. Now, over the next 18 months, Bernstein expects Bitcoin to touch a cycle high of $150,000. We're also seeing crypto-pegged stocks moving higher. All crypto stocks are up 196% year-to-date versus 140% so far this year. is the custody Bitcoin. partner for a lot of these spot Bitcoin ETF applications. Their stock is up more than 60% in November, and some are anticipating further upside, especially if we start to see approvals come in in early 2024. So... Perfect. She's laid it out. All the big themes next year. The two big ones, as she mentioned, the, the halving or halvening, uh, as many call it, where the rewards given to Bitcoin miners for their efforts in mining Bitcoin are slashed in half, uh, therefore keeping a, a cap on the supply of Bitcoin. In the past, uh, when this has happened, it happens every four years, we've seen a big rally in Bitcoin uh, after it uh, and for, for the months after that. And then the other big thing investors are watching is what we've tackled on another episode, and that is the potential arrival, uh, approval by the US regulators of an exchange-traded fund for Bitcoin, which, if that happens, is slated, as Mackenzie said, to bring in lots and lots of money into uh, cryptocurrency, into Bitcoin, uh, and that could be another big deal. Now, I've been doing a bit of work uh, trying to figure out 
the price of Bitcoin next year. That's not my job. I'm not going to stick my neck out and make a prediction. But um, there are many who are, and I have got varying degrees of price calls for 2024 for Bitcoin, ranging from about $60,000 all the way up to $500,000 in 2024 was huge and and interestingly what what's the theme i've I've asked everyone who we've spoken to tell us what is it that you feel is going to take bitcoin to these levels two things halving etf beyond the value okay we're going to leave it there for our uh, look ahead to 2024 but uh and I'm, i'm there's a different whole different audience that just wants stat of the week you know, they, they probably skipped through the whole episode and just waiting for this this moment. So I love, let's, it. <laughs> I love it. I love those people. Um, right. Let's hear it. So one point one million pounds or five hundred thousand kilograms. Um, this must so it's a weight. It's a weight of something. But let, should I give you quite a good clue? No, I think I'm going to just you're make, just going to. Okay, fine, but I feel like I could get it. Not, okay, not get it, but I feel like I could be some. some how boy. about you take a guess, and I'll give you a second chance with <laughs> okay. clue. Okay. Okay. The the uh, the weight of Brussels sprouts bought in the UK over Christmas. Oh, you've gotten festive in the answer. <laughs> um, way I'm, off it. Oh, way off. Okay, <laughs> think of something that. You would think that is so light. There is, it's not possible for it to weigh as heavy of, as I've just said. <laughs> this is so crazy. <laughs> I'm never, never going to get it. I thought I was going on the festive. I thought I was going to get it. Oh, I don't know. I mean, this blew my mind. Okay, do you want to hear it? Yeah. 1.1 million pounds of weight or 500,000 kilograms is the weight of an average cloud what yes really wow do you know what that's equivalent to three blue whales or a hundred elephants or 40 school buses or about 20 million dollars in u.s quarters that's mental yeah um i mean it is also a really random stat so i don't feel like my brussels sprouts is like totally no, off. it's not way off not no. way off i could have gone festive yeah i did i, I just i just would. read this and i thought <laughs> i need to tell tom about crazy. it crazy yeah quiz question for anyone that does a christmas quiz you can you can borrow that one but that is all we have time for what a year that, what a year what a year and uh great to be uh you know rounding off the year uh, on beyond the valley with such a fantastic pod mm. great guests so thank you to sylvia and thank you to Mackenzie. and before we go uh, just a reminder, please email Beyond the Valley and cnbc.com if you've got any questions for the new year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Tom. Thank you for being fantastic um, this year. And thank you to our wonderful listeners. They've been, you've all been wonderful. They've been terrific. Um, we appreciate you all. We'll be back next year for another episode of Beyond the Valley. Goodbye. Beyond the Sun.